My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 126 of Legally Clueless. Super excited that you are part of the tribe. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, audio episodes go out every single Monday. We have season one of our video series out. Just check out our YouTube. A link to that is in the show notes. Also, if you want to join our online space, we're on Instagram at Legally Clueless Podcast. A link to that is in the show notes. And on Twitter, just use the hashtag Legally Clueless. I feel like this part of the podcast is like when you go to an event and you're being told where the fire exit is, the bathrooms. (laughs) Now that that's out of the way, I'm very excited with this particular episode because first, I rediscovered a song that I can't wait to share with you. Secondly, I discovered a podcast that I cannot wait to share with you. Thirdly, I'm recording this the night before we leave for Kisumu, Nakuru and Mombasa as part of the Legally Clueless tour. So you can only imagine the excitement. I'm recording this surrounded by clothes and my suitcase, cables, my other laptop, my other microphone. (laughs) Yanni just kills and I have a 5.30 a.m. pickup. Anyway, we're going to get to that in a bit. And I'm also very excited, speaking of the tour, for the story that you will hear in this episode because it was recorded during the Nairobi leg of the tour. Listen to this. So I went to Daystar. I chose the school because it was far. I got there. I'd say it wasn't what I expected. A few years into it my second year i kind of lost track of the whole idea of even being there and i ended up pregnant i'm really small so no one could tell so i call her and she comes and i tell her i'm peeing and it's not ending she's like wait tell you're not peeing your water has broken and we need to go to a hospital so we get there sorry i had a feeling this part would hit hard (laughs) Within the next, I think, day or two, I had to be put into induced labor. That was painful. So my child was put in um, an incubator. I got to be able to take care of him because he'd be in a room next to me. And in the middle of the night, I'd go and sing with him and stay there. Sadly, a while later, he died. I think also going through all that, I got to a point and realized that I need to wake up every day and choose to be happy. So that's Nema. And her story is coming up a little later in this episode. And I'll even share then how randomly our paths crossed. But first, let me start by sharing with you a podcast that I think you really need to check out. When it comes to listening to other podcasts, I just recently started doing that. Reason being, at the beginning when I was really trying to find a footing for this podcast... I would stay away from others just so that they don't influence my creative process. But now, I know exactly, (laughs) I don't know why I said it that way. And I know exactly what this podcast stands for, where it's going, etc, etc. I am enjoying myself. So most of the time I'll be listening to a lot of crime podcasts. I do not know why, but listening to like murder stories that actually happened is calming to me. I don't know if that... (laughs) Is that only me? Do I have a problem? But I ventured away from that genre and I'm so glad I did because I found a podcast that I think you will like. I genuinely think everybody who is part of the Legally Clueless tribe will identify with this. So the name of the podcast is Power of the Streets. The episode that really got me from their first season featured a woman who was behind a story that A, went viral across Africa and really globally and B, touched on an issue that, as you know, is very dear to me when it comes to sexual violence against women. Her story was around sexual harassment, specifically in universities. I'm pretty sure that you saw this story, Sex for Grades. It was an investigative piece looking into specific universities in Nigeria and Ghana and just how the lecturers, like, when I watched the story, I'm like, what is going on? You know, the lecturers just blatantly sexually harass students blatantly asking for sex so that a student can get a higher grade it it's ridiculous and as much as i say the story focused on universities in nigeria and ghana i know because of the work that i've done here in kenya imagine the story is the same. So why I really also identified with this particular piece is because once the story was aired, the investigative piece was aired, that is, it really resulted in a lot of change, like the universities took it seriously, some of those lecturers lost their jobs. And for me, 
you know, sometimes like, especially when you've experienced the thing that you're fighting to end, it can get exhausting. You can get to a point where you're just like, Aki, is there any change? Like sharing my story means reliving it, reliving it. What is the point? And that sex for grades investigative piece really brought home to me what the point is. And so the reason I clicked on that episode is because the lady behind that investigative piece, Kiki Mordi, was interviewed on this podcast. I was fangirling as <laughs> as my earphones were on, let me tell you, because I was just like, Aki, does she know what she really did for me through that story? So the wonderful people at Power of the Streets podcast have allowed me to give you a bit of a snippet as to what Kiki spoke about. Listen to this. At the time where I got the job on radio, I was struggling with school. I was struggling with a personal experience of sexual harassment from my own, you know, lecturer, my course advisor. And I was dealing with that for about two semesters. And, you know, I was just really confused at what to do with my life at that point. And, you know, any opportunity that pops up, I'll just go there out of boredom. I mean, what's the worst that could happen, right? And I found myself on radio. And radio really gave me that voice and that power to speak you know, authoritatively in school, I had no powers. My lecturer had all the power, but on radio, it was my show and I was running the show. So I think that empowered me to start speaking up against the violence that women like me faced in school. And it was really a moment. I mean, it was just, it was a local radio station. It wasn't BBC, <laughs> but we had a very small moment. For the first time, students felt empowered enough to call into a radio station and talk about you know, the things that they go through in school. It wasn't just women, you know, young boys and young men and young women calling in to talk about the things that they face in school. But the predominant story there was sexual harassment. It was very predominant. And this was as far back as, I think, 2009 or 2010. So while listening to this specific episode, I didn't know she had a radio background, which is like super similar to me. I didn't know that she had also experienced sexual harassment in university so she had like a personal tie to this investigative piece that she did and it just made me a want to meet her more <laughs> and just like really get drawn to a story and get so much inspiration from it I think what stood up for me from this podcast power of the streets is it really reminded me how much power and how much strength there is in owning your story and using your story to push for change, really awakening your inner activist, especially for us on the continent, because we've got to make this space as great as we know it can be. We've got to make it as safe as we know it should be for African women, you know. And that season, this first season of Power of the Streets podcast. They've spoken to activists from Uganda, South Africa, this Ghana, Burundi, Malawi, and it's really African activists who are pushing for change when it comes to ending sexual violence. Please check out this podcast and it is by Human Rights Watch. So what I've done is in the show notes, there is a link to the Power of the Streets podcast. It is available on Apple Podcasts. I've also put a link to Human Rights Watch social platforms just if you want to engage with them or even like propose an African activist that they need to have on the show, check out Power of the Streets podcast, check the show notes, there's a link to it or just go to Apple Podcasts and you can be able to stream the podcast over there. And on Twitter, by the way, you can just use the hashtag Power of the Streets to converse when you're throwing ideas to Human Rights Watch or just sharing something you heard on the podcast. But I definitely think the Legally Clueless Tribe will love that pod. And it's African and it's dope. Okay, let's jump into the, hmm, should we go into the song of the week or a tour update? Okay, let's go into the song of the week first. <laughs> so I randomly put my phone on shuffle this week while I was driving. And then a song that I love and haven't listened to for years popped up and I just was beaming and singing along loudly. I swear, anybody who spotted me on the roads that day must have thought I was a mad woman. But it's a song by a friend of mine 
from Zambia. His name is Dope G. He used to be part of a group called Zone Fam, but then they're all doing like their individual thing, which they've been doing for years. And he listens to this podcast. So shout out to you, Dope G. And the name of the song is My Hair. I absolutely love the song, but what is so interesting for me is he's not singing stroke rapping in English, but the language, and I'm not too sure which language it is, and I don't want to get it wrong, but the language he is rapping and singing, which is one of like the vernacular languages in Zambia, it sounds so much like his Swahili. Like there are points where I completely understand what he's saying, yet he's not speaking Swahili. It's just such a, you know, music is powerful. It, it really shows us how connected we are as Africans. So if you check out the show notes, there's a link to My Hair by Dope G. It is such, let me tell you, if you're having a bad day, turn that song on and you'll be good. Okay, let's jump into a quick tour update and then into 100 African stories. So as I told you, I'm surrounded by, like I'm even looking at them like, who is going to pack you? Surrounded by all my clothes, my suitcase that is rather big for the number of days I'm going away, but who cares? My microphones and tech stuff and camera on this other side. I have the table and chairs that make up the Legally Clueless set here. I need to figure out how I'm wrapping those in. And it is currently 10 minutes to 11 and my pickup is at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> How's that for a tour update? <laughs> Either way, I'm excited so I'm not like I have adrenaline right so I'm not feeling exhausted or panicky but I do know because tomorrow we go from Nairobi to Kisumu which is about a six to seven hour drive I will be knocked out throughout that drive so I'm not worried about sleep I'm really excited about meeting all the storytellers in Kisumu I really can't wait like I've just been talking to each of them on phone and it's been great and then we'll leave Kisumu and go to Nakuru. So next week's episode, we'll have an update from Kitume Nakuru. Because once we leave Nakuru next next week, we go to Mombasa. Yeah, so it should be it should be awesome. I'm really excited, but I also wish like you could come help me pack because surely who's going to do all of this work? <laughs> anyway, as I'm packing, let me leave you with a hundred African stories. This was recorded during the Nairobi leg of this tour we're on. It's a powerful story by Nema Toya, who I met when I went on my writing retreat in January. Remember that? Yes. So her dad owns the Airbnb that I went to and I randomly just bumped into her, which is so awesome. Her story really brings home the point about us re-evaluating our education systems and spaces and what education looks like, what skills does one leave with that. And it also talks a bit about grief. So I need to give you that trigger warning in case you're in a space where you, you can't handle stories that go into grief-related issues. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. So my name is Nair Matoya and I'm a photographer. My company is called Iranti Photography. I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. Though I think I'd say now I'm in Nairobi, Kenya because I'm from Rongai. Born in Eldoret, then moved most of my life, lived in Rongai. So I started 844. I think my story was like pretty much everyone else's kindergarten kicking and screaming because of it brought to a place I don't know anyone and then I'll be left here so for kindergarten I went to St. Mark's and then after St. Mark's I moved to Westlands Primary which is walking distance like right behind <laughs> but it was easier for me to go to Westlands Primary because now my sister and my brother were there so at least I didn't feel alone we moved to Rongai when I got to about class two so I'm still in 844. And at that point, I haven't really pursued any passion in anything. So in class two, we moved to Rongai. At this point, we moved when there was literally no neighbors around us. I think we had like one neighbor. And we're in the bundus. So there were, we moved, there was no electricity in the house. There's no water. The walls were not plastered. My dad does architecture. So he got to a point when... And he was like, okay, I'm done paying rent in this country. I'm done paying rent. Let me just go and build my own place with the little money I have. So we moved. By the time we moved there, no electricity, no people around. I didn't grow up with a TV and a camera and all this social media. So still, I was not exposed to my photography. I remember, I think before we actually moved to Rongai, there's this 
guy who used to come around the estate taking pictures with a Kodak camera. So he came and we needed a background, so we put a towel in the background and I still have that picture and I absolutely hate it. And I don't know why, by the time I was in class two, a picture like that made such a difference. I hated it to the extent, because I told my mom when I grew up, I want to be a photo woman. I didn't know what this guy was called, but I knew he was taking pictures and he was a man. So I was like, I want to be a photo woman when I grow up. So we moved to Rongai. Actually, my pastime activity was taking long walks, hiking, swimming in the river, climbing trees. When I moved to Rongai, I joined the school called Acacia. Fast forward to about class five. Uh, that's when I found my mom's camera. My mom travels a lot. Like she, she does agriculture and she did consultancy. So she'd travel a lot and she'd always have pictures and I found her camera. So I got an interest in it. I was curious because, okay, I don't have a phone. <laughs> But there's this thing here. So I, I got curious. I started taking pictures. And then around the same time, my sister started her fashion line. She'd make clothes like out of the curtains in the home. So on Sunday morning, we wake up and, ah, there's no curtains. My, my sister has a really nice dress on. <laughs> so she started that and she called it Toya Fashion. She makes clothes. We put them on my cousins and I'd take pictures. So that's kind of how I just started slowly using this camera and taking pictures. That was only during the weekend because now I'm going into upper primary school and this is where the bulk of work begins. If anyone who's gone through 844 knows, you get to class 6 and 7, 8. It's like they're trying to drown you in work. Be in school early, have so much homework, get back home late. So at about this point, my dad was also getting overwhelmed with this. I'd have to be leaving home like at 4.30 with my brother in the morning because we lived so far, so the school bus had to come and pick us up first, then go around picking awesome. everyone. This is a different school now. This is at Laser Hill. I've moved to Laser Hill. The bus comes early, picks us up, and we go around picking everyone. We get to school, upper primary, everyone would have to go home like at around 5.36. For lower primary, you'd go home at 4. So I'd have to stay until do the preps and then go back home. So I'd be getting home like at around 7. This is after leaving home at 4.30 in the morning and I have homework. <laughs> so school is still not over. So my dad would constantly be walking in and he'd be wondering, are you not participating in school? How do you come back with this much work? I remember he called the school and told them, okay, I'm the one who's paying this school fee. So my daughter needs to be leaving that school at 4. There's no way you're going to be teaching her from 4.30, though she's in the bus, okay, let's say from 7. There's no way you're going to teach her from 7 until 4 and then extend two hours hoping you're going to add something extra. Like, there's nothing she's going to learn with this, those extra two hours. So at five, class 5, 6, I'm going back home with the lower primary school kids. So I was the only older one in the bus because <laughs> I don't know how everyone else's parents are able to keep up with it. <laughs> Your kids are transniting. So I'd still go back home and I have a lot of work. So I remember this is now maybe at around class six, seven. My dad walks in and he's like, okay, now this story needs to change. So he asked me, do you want to change your system? And I was like, of course. I didn't even want to know where I was going, what school. Like, that didn't matter. It just meant I wasn't going to do this homework now. And I stayed home for like two weeks. So we were looking for uniform and books and everything, preparing for the next school. At this point, I still don't know what the system is or is about. And I moved to the new system. And it's called ACE, which is Accelerated Christian Education. This was, I think, the most amazing school opportunity of my life. Moving to AC meant I'm not doing cramming or like just passing exams. Because for this system, they focused a lot on your talents and your strengths and your personality and your leadership skills. It was actually called the Leadership Academy. And the funny thing is now this school was back home, so it was right next door. <laughs> So I was back home and the school is right next door, which was, I think it was amazing because during lunchtime I'd have an hour and I'd go home, eat for like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, then watch something or fall asleep, <laughs> then wait to hear the bell and run back to school. So it was amazing having school so close. My first year at the new schools, it was, I think I would say it was really easy because one, it was a neighborhood school. So the teacher 
was my neighbor. I've grown up now, I know my neighbor. We've been here since I was in class two. My auntie is teaching, my dad is teaching in the school. It's a community school. So most of the kids who are in the school also from just home. So it felt like a nice hangout. And then the thing I loved about it was with AC, everyone has like um, an office. So you, you have a classroom and everyone has like an office space. So you go in and you sit down and you write your goals for the day. Like, I'm going to do this in math. I'm going to do this in English. I'm going to do this in science. So you write it out, you give it to the lecturer and he checks out and says, okay, you have this target for your day. This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Change this and change this. So I liked the fact that it was really one-on-one learning where I had to come face to face with areas I was strong in and areas I wasn't. Because when you go for the um, interview, like to grade, like to place you, grade, place you, you'd have like booklets. You're given like a math booklet, although it may be to say, if you join and you're in class five, they give you a booklet from class four, which goes all the way until after high school, so after you finish. So you answer as many questions as you can on this booklet. And where you stop, that's where they grade and then they see, okay. So it seems like you were in class five, but your math is really slow, so it's in like class two, like class three. Or your English is really advanced, so your English is like in high school level. So everything had to be balanced. If my math is low, the teacher would help me focus a lot more on my math, so I'd have more goals for the day in my math, and the day would end by around four. So it was a really short day. And in between, it was packed with so much activity, and either we'd go swimming, we'd go photography classes, so we'd go like for walks in the Aces, because we live in the middle of nowhere. So we had enough wildlife to go and take pictures of, and my auntie was teaching that class. So at this point, like during my high school, that's when I really interacted with what I wanted and my passion, because we used to have this school competitions called convention. So during convention, it would be like um, science congress and math fest and drama fest, all of it put together. And I think this is the most amazing time of my schooling because we'd have everyone in Kenya doing this system come together. There are very few schools. We meet up, compete for a week in academics, in sports, in arts, in everything. I remember my experience there the first time I got there because I'm coming from, from 844 to this system and I meet so many people who are amazing in what they do and they're my age. So I'm just like, wait, wait, where were you guys when I was busy cramming? I don't, I don't have skills. I don't have like, you guys are a bit too professional in what you're doing. So first you'd meet with everyone in Kenya, we compete. Then everyone in East Africa, we compete. Then everyone in all Africa, we compete. So you're constantly being exposed to people of your age bracket from all across the world. It made me realize I can do so many different things. So during convention, I'd sign up for things like a 100 meter dash. I was really fast then. Don't ask me to run now. <laughs> Unless there's tear gas being thrown, then the Kenyan in me will, you know, kick back. <laughs> it's default setting. <laughs> I used to do music because I was in a really musical community. I'd do spoken word. Oh, but I remember that experience was a nightmare. The first time I got there, I was so nervous. I felt like I wasn't ready. And the whole time I was, I kept on telling myself I'm not ready. So the more I kept on telling myself that, the more I was panicking. I get there and I completely broke down. I get there, the judges are waiting for me to start. I'm crying like an ugly cry of mucus and tears. It's just, it's a mess. I was sobbing and looking nasty, but they're like, it's okay, it's okay. You, you just keep going, just keep going. So I'm talking like, and I'm just, <laughs> and like I'm trying to gasp for air as I'm trying to say my speech and it's a mess. I didn't quit because the teacher who was actually teaching us expressive reading and spoken word was my auntie. So she was like, no, there's no way we're raising quitters. Not here. <laughs> so she, we didn't quit and we just kept on practicing a little bit more and more and I got better at it and I did it more. That was also now part of everything I used to sign up for. Then of course, I started signing up also for photography, especially because it was an area I was good at. Most of the time in school now, I was the one who was being called to teach that class. So at least the music was terrible for me. <laughs> But I found something else that at least, okay, the school is like, yeah, if you're looking for a photographer, yeah, we, we have someone. And that way also the estate got to know, like, I'm, I take pictures. 
So the people around me used to take pictures, like ask me to take pictures, do their family portraits, just one-on-one, -on -one, somebody woke up feeling nice and pretty, I take their picture. So that's, that was a really inspiring time for me to jump from cramming, 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 and staying up late <laughs> into, for me, now staying up late doing my passion. I'm in high school, and I've finished high school, so now I'm moving to university. So I went to Daystar, Daystar University. I remember how I chose the school, <laughs> probably the beginning of my disaster. <laughs> I chose the school because it was far. You remember my school, my high school was right next door. <laughs> so <laughs> after, because I finished school also, I finished school maybe like two years earlier than everyone I was supposed to finish with. So I stayed home and I had just time until my dad was like, okay, you finished, so now what's your next plan? And I hadn't thought about that. I didn't think I needed to think about another plan. I thought like things just happened, but they didn't. So he told me, okay, you need to figure out where you're going to go to school, what you want to study. And I was like, where do I even start? I decided to go to Athi River because at that point it was the farthest school I could think of. I think maybe if I thought about it earlier, I'd have left the country. <laughs> Because I was looking for the distance. And then I figured, okay, I know I like working with the camera, so what does this have to offer? And then I saw, okay, communication. Then I found electronic media. I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but let's do that. Let's <laughs> sign me up for that one. I remember my dad even, like my dad and my mom wondering, this system, like this, this, it, you don't have it in the Nairobi campus, like this particular course. I was like, nope, no, 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 no. And you know, the thing is, <laughs> I think my dad was like, okay, you're an adult now. So he was like, you, you sort those things. Because I remember uh, my first day in uni, school was starting on Monday. He dropped me on Sunday. So on Sunday, and before that, he had told me to go and find a hostel. So I went to the school found a hostel around there. All this time I'm doing it by myself. So I go and find a hostel and then I tell him, okay, this is the amount, this is what you need to pay. None of the money used to come to me, but that was also a good move on his end. <laughs> so I just tell him where to directly pay. And then day one of school told me, okay, I'm not there, so you find someone who you can walk up to school with. <laughs> so I went and found my way in, signed up, everything. So it was it was a really bold solo move. And I think was what I was looking for. I got there and I'd say it wasn't what I expected because I think coming from now AC back to an 844 system, which is more or less what Daystar is, it was another whole transition that I wasn't ready for because I thought I'd still be going on with the, you know, practical learning and learning with people and working on one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm thinking, okay, see now I'm an adult. If it's university, it should be like, mentorship or like an internship one-on-one -on -one. I get there and like for the first two years oh my gosh there's a lot of general studies and we're doing maths and sciences and finance that I was terrible at in high school so I'm like okay here we go but okay let me just push through this because they tell me we're going to do communication so I'm psyched I'm still a little hopeful like at some point we'll do what I want. So a few years into it, in my second year, also I realized this wasn't quite what it was. There was no practical bit of it. We're still doing generals. I kind of lost track of the whole idea of even being there, and I ended up pregnant. So at this point, I'm like in my second year, third year, and I get pregnant. And I was really, like, I'm really small, so no one could tell. And I remember... Even the few people I had told, enough of them, like, don't say it, the school will kick you out, things like that, like, just just be silent about it until it's too late, then now you can just leave and take a break or something, then come back. So I was like, okay. I went through it, like, maybe for, like, three months, still nothing showing. I think in the whole period, I only added, like, five kgs, <laughs> which I really tried to hold on to. I really tried to, but... It wasn't working. At this point, so I'm still in school. Now I'm at Daystar. I'm pregnant. No one knows. All I'm doing is eating watermelons the whole day. <laughs> I don't know if anyone found but I think my Boda guy found it suspicious because I'd be sending him for like three full watermelons in a day. And he's wondering, okay, are you making juice in here? But I'm just, because that was all I wanted to eat. I figure, okay, 
I need to find a way of how to make money. And at least by the time I was leaving high school and joining university, most of the people around me already knew I do photography. So even when I got to university, I, I got there with my camera in my hand. <laughs> so I, was, I got there doing school events, I'd take pictures, I'd send them to people, like just to get people engaged in the fact that I take pictures, not I charge, because at that point it was just for fun. I realized, okay, I need to find a way how to make money, so I'm still taking pictures. Then I realized, okay, this is a child, I probably need a lot more money, like, and I don't want to entirely rely on my parents because I'm thinking, strong, independent, I got this. And also I was panicking because at this point, the guy wasn't in the picture. So I'm panicking, I'm like, okay, Toya, you need to come up with a conquering story of how you were able to raise this child by yourself and you were able to get the money you needed and you're able to finish school. So that's, that's what I had in my head. I was like, like, it's fine, it's fine, it's terrible, but it's fine. I told my mom, she was, it was a whole mix of emotions. It was excited, it was disappointment. And I told them, like, at the breakfast table, I was like, okay, so, mommy, daddy, I have something to tell you guys. And I was like, can we do this, like, on the sitting on the table? Because you guys need to be seated <laughs> while we're having this convo. So I told them, and I don't think I've seen my mom that broken. Like, it was a lot. But it was such a weight off my chest to be able to tell them. Because I felt like, okay, now my parents are on board. I don't care what everyone else thinks. Like, all the more reasons why now I know that whole power of, I got this. It came back because, like, I got this. I've been able to conquer telling my parents that's the hardest milestone I thought I'd be able to, I'd need to face. But sadly, story went along and he passed away at six months. So at six months, as I said, I needed to find a way of making money. So I remember on that particular weekend, I had gotten a gig to do a wedding. It was the most intense shoot till today I have ever done. And I don't know, I think I hadn't realized when pregnant, there's some things you should hold off on and maybe just take slowly. So I was still pushing myself like I'm just okay. So I did this wedding. It was the longest wedding. The day was hot. The bridesmaid had almost 10 to 12 people on her lineup. So that, that's only the chicks, and then there's guys, and then there's kids. So it was just a long day. It was just a long day. And at that point, I had also started working at my cousin's house. So I was taking care of my niece. That wasn't much, because on usual days, um, not during holidays, while I'm on holiday, I go to her house, and I'd help like, the kids getting ready putting them to bed, and then all the cleaning and everything, there was someone else to do it, so that wasn't as intense. But on this particular day, I leave the shoot, I come back, the kids need to be going to school, I think they were going to school the next day. So I get there, get things ready, I'm still going. Like, my day's still going, my day's still going, and finally it ended. So I'm thinking, oh, it's the I go to bed. And I think maybe like in the middle of the night, I remember I needed to go to the bathroom. So I wake up, go to the bathroom, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm so tired, and this day needs, needs to end, and tomorrow is happening, and I need to get the kids ready for school. So I'm sitting there, and I'm wondering, okay, I've been here thinking to myself for so long, but I'm not done peeing, which didn't make any sense. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? So I try to hold it in. I'm like, okay, now stop. But nothing, it's still going on. That's when I realize, ah, this isn't normal. Like, this is... And at this point, I thought I had enough time to research on, okay, what to expect when you're about to deliver, when your water breaks, like even the fact that I didn't know <laughs> there was something like water breaking. So I'm sitting there, and then I called my cousin because she was asleep in her room. So I call her, and she comes, and I tell her, like, I'm peeing, and it's not ending. And she's like, wait, tell her you're not peeing your water has broken and we need to go to a hospital so she gets ready we leave and the whole time i'm still losing water losing water so we get to the first hospital the doctor comes i think it was optica optic so the doctor comes and he checks me and he's like yo like you're actually dilated like you're about to go into labor and this doesn't make sense and you're still losing water but your child is not even yet to be born, so you need to find somewhere where there's an incubator. So at this point, I'm in the car, <laughs> we're panicking. 
was stressed. My cousin, but she's trying to keep her cool. She's talking to her mom. She's talking to different people, trying to figure out, okay, call those people and let them know we're coming. Just clear the way, make this smooth. So we get there. Sorry. I had a feeling this part would hit hard. So we get to the second hospital and they're checking me and they say, yeah, like you're actually going into labor, but you can't give birth now because of all the complications it will bring. So you have to go on bed rest. So I was put on bed rest and miraculously, my body started making more of the water the child needed. Because what I was told is I need to deliver because it's either I'd get an infection and die or the kid would get an infection and die, or we'd both die. So I was put on bed rest, um, and I was able to build up fluid in my body. The kid was safe for a while, but within the next, I think, day or two, I had to be put into induced labor. That was painful. The most, I don't think I've ever gone through anything as painful as, and I don't think anyone can prepare you for that. It's such a whole personal experience. I went into labor, I gave birth. It was just normal, and then at least I didn't have to do the C-section. Though I remember while I was on the table giving birth, I kept on crying to my auntie, like, can they just cut the child out? Like, I can't keep pushing, like, I can't do it. But that's the same auntie who told me I can't give up on the speech. <laughs> so I, I, I had the right person by my side. She didn't let me quit the last time. I went through something hard. So I gave birth, and it went well. But So my child was put in... Um, an incubator because his lungs hadn't quite developed and his kidney so he was there for a while obviously i wasn't making milk because it wasn't his time yet so they had to give me supplements and then i started having milk and i was able to be able to give him my milk so that was amazing (laughs) so i got to be able to take care of him because he'd be in a room next to me and in the middle of the night i'd go and sing with him and stay there so it was really it was a beautiful experience as much as the pain came with it that moment just being able to be there with him was absolutely beautiful so it was worth it sadly a few a while later he died so we buried him and realization of okay the whole family has gone through this it was hard on everyone and i have such a supportive family so there was so like energy and emotion Everything was invested in it, and we had all gone through this together. So after the funeral, I remember I was home, and school was coming up, because I was still not done with school. So school is coming up, and I kind of sunk into a depression. But I am so grateful for my mom. My room at that point, I've always been a fan of black. (laughs) So my room was completely black. Peach black curtains, dark bedding, dark floor, dark everything, and I felt like that's what I needed until the, someday my mom came and she was like, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> Changed everything. She put rainbow curtains in my room, colored floor, carpet on my mat, colored bedding, colored pillows. And somehow that kind of cheered me up and brought me out of the funk because then I was able to leave my room. I was able to interact with people. I was able to try and get back to normal life. And at that point is when I decided I was able to share my story as well. The whole time, people are like, ah, Ty, you know, you, should, you shouldn't be sharing things like this. Like, this is so personal. This is so intimate. You shouldn't be putting this kind of information out there. But then the more I realized, if I don't talk about it, I'm not healing. I'm not growing. I'm not helping anyone else, even myself. So I went online <laughs> and I took pictures. Actually, I did a photo shoot with my sister. She does makeup. So she did my makeup. I got all dolled up. And it was beautiful. We took pictures and I uploaded them. It broke the internet. <laughs> no one was ready. No one saw it coming. Guys were like, wait, what? Because this whole time, nothing was showing. And the whole time, I was really small. So nothing was showing. So I put them up and got people's responses. And everyone was so encouraging. And I felt like, Yes, this is, this is exactly why I needed to share this because I knew I wasn't strong enough to do it myself. So now I need to go back to school. And to be honest, I was very unmotivated and I was stressed about having to go back to school. Because there was also the aspect of, of I'm at Daystar, it's a Christian institution, 
there's like standards to things and ways things are being done they're supposed to be done so i also knew if this story was to get to them it would be a problem but what really frustrated me was i felt like they were looking into areas like okay she has a tattoo on her skin oh we can see your knee like those are the things that were frustrating them not that i was going through a mental breakdown i was going back to an environment where i felt they didn't know they didn't understand and i could tell it sucked but i had a whole bunch of friends who for them their therapy used to be taking pictures like they'd love to model and for me my therapy was i'd like to take the pictures like they'd never let me stay in my room at a whole day has just gone by no 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 they'd come and get me out and like okay we're going on the longest walk take bikes go bike riding go and take pictures and just unwind and i think that really helped but then now unfortunately i've been thrown back into the system where i'm feeling like it's not practical so i'm feeling like okay i'm sitting in a class and i have too many thoughts going on in my head cuz all i have to do is listen to this guy i'm not working on something and i remember when i got to like my third year which is not too long ago actually <laughs> makes it sound like it's jam how old no it is more like 2 years ago or a year ago so i got to my third year we do this course on phone phone photography or the phone filming so the teacher told us we need to go and do a 10 minute production on our phone and the only editing we were supposed to do was this pause button so in my head i'm thinking wait this is possible So it was really interesting. I was like, wait, this is the coolest thing I have been taught in a while. Like why didn't you start this when I was a freshman and probably have finished school by now and we'd be doing a second degree. So I did that unit and it was amazing and then corona happened. Cuz now I was thinking, oh, so now after this unit probably the next one will still be as engaging. Then corona happens and I'm home and we're home for a whole year. I realized during that time it was amazing because i got to be home with my family so i was feeling like i'm back in my safe bubble my dad came up with this concept like maybe after a week or two of us of being home and cooped up and everyone being told do not leave my dad was like ah we can't just be chilling and not doing anything so he said every day someone has to come up with something that we all have to learn together and i absolutely loved it so we started with the first time i think i told them okay we're all going to learn how to paint so we did paintings and oh my gosh my dad is terrible book <laughs> he should stick to building houses <laughs> yeah so um we did painting my mom is worse I think actually my dad is better than my mom but they're both really terrible at painting. And then the next day my dad decided okay we're going to learn how to cut glass bottles. So he has a whole bunch of different machines. So we learned how to cut glass bottles and then we planted in them. And then the next day my mom decided okay we're going to go around and name all the trees in the compound and say cuz she does agriculture so obviously that was her area. So she says we're going to learn this so we went around taking pictures of all the trees and naming all the trees and trying to figure out okay what's what and what does what because i think with my family especially my mom and my dad like hospitals is like the last place we ever go to so even that experience up until today i don't think my phobia for like i passed the same hospitals as nairobi women's i passed the hospital and my heart just and it makes it worse that on this side is nairobi women's and then on this side is daystar so it's like this street <laughs> this street is a nightmare so after naming the trees we're learning different things we actually even wrote a song so cuz my dad plays the guitar so that's one of the things we learned was okay we sat down together and we wrote a song for about kenya i think we still have it somewhere it's stuck hidden somewhere it, it was pretty cool <laughs> It was pretty cool. It was also really nice just being able to do this thing with my family. So during that whole process, it became more and more clear that school, the conventional school was not going to work for me. And now I was thinking, okay, how do I break this to my parents? I mean, my third year, I have been in school since 2015, so I have been a professional student now. <laughs> But in 2021, I should have graduated. And now I want to drop this bombshell that okay, this is not it. So it took me a while like for a while they'd ask me okay so have you signed up with school and I'd be like oh you know the system the internet the portal <laughs> the teacher <laughs> it was everything other than 
I just don't want to sign up. Until my dad realized, okay, Toya, you seem like you're not passionate about this. Like, you're not pushing yourself to do this. I'm constantly having to ask you about school. So he was also getting frustrated with it. I was like, okay, okay. So that's when I told him, yeah, it's not happening. Because it's just not happening. And my dad, I think my dad, he takes things easier. Because he listened, and then I think he went to meditate and tell his wife. (laughs) Like, that child of yours has now decided. (laughs) So, yeah, they had the whole conversation. And I guess one plus one, they talked it out. Maybe, like, a month ago, I go home and... I finally have this conversation with my mom and she's like, I understand school is not happening. I understand this is not where your passion is, your drive. I understand this is just the wrong space for you and it's fine. I won't ask you to go back to school and I won't bring it up. Because I also realize every time someone would ask me, so when are you graduating? I'd go into a panic, um, stressed, um, anxious um it's a whole mix of things that just from asking me that one question you'd throw everything off so it was a heartfelt conversation there's enough tears involved but i love the fact that they were very understanding and they're like it's okay so you just figure you out and i actually made it known to them that i'm not saying that school is bad i'm not saying that don't people shouldn't go through university or whatever. It's a matter of realizing I felt like I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Like it wasn't what I needed and it was only bringing me down as opposed to fueling me to try and figure out what I want to do. Because during my time there and seeing other people who I joined university with graduate, I'd be thinking, wait, this is going to traumatize me. These guys are leaving me here. And yet I had started two years before them. So I was like, ah, and speaking to some of them and realizing they still didn't know what they were passionate about. They still didn't know where they were going to go after they graduated. They still didn't know what they liked to do. I was like, wait, I think I'm fine because I have answers to those questions. I've always been able to introduce myself and say what I'm passionate about, what I want, what I want to achieve. And I felt like that was already a big stepping stone on everyone else. I was like, just the fact that I was able to identify by what I wanted. So I realized, yeah, so Daystar wasn't happening for me in that sector. So I said, okay, let's just stop. So I stopped. I have just been figuring out and doing my photography ever since. Actually, I just never put down my camera since I found my mom's when I was in class five. And I have been passionate about it ever since taking pictures. I honestly feel like it's the hardest but bold, like another bold move I've made. I think also going through all that, I got to a point and realized that I need to wake up every day and do what I enjoy. I need to wake up every day and choose to be happy because not everything around, like the world is a depressed place. Not everything will make you happy. But choosing to see the beauty in everything, I think that's why I was just like, I have to do what I want. I have to do what I love. And that's why I was brave enough to tell my parents that this thing is only depressing me. It's not building me, I'm not growing, I'm not changing, I'm not, I felt like I was stagnant. But after, it's been amazing. Since I left school, I have gone through so many different experiences that I would never take back. Like, it's been amazing. I've worked with people I've wanted to work with. I've gone to different places. I have been able to earn more money. I have more time to myself. Because I think one thing I've also realized over time with life Everyone, I guess, was created for a purpose and a reason. So the sooner you figure out where your purpose and your reason is, I think the less stress you have in your life, it's not always going to be easy, it's not always going to be hard. I don't need to stick to the system. I'd say now it's been maybe three or four months (laughs) since um, I finally decided, okay, I'm done with this. So I just need to actually go and tell the school, I can't wait. I'm actually excited to get some deuces. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. That was such an insightful story. I feel like I learned so much about what the process of learning is. Education spaces should be teaching you definitely skills, practical skills. And they should also be meeting you where you are. You should feel safe in those spaces.
I don't know. Her story just really taught me a lot. And for her to have gone through such heavy experiences so young in her life and then be able to use that to inspire others, it's like super commendable. And so how I met Toya was, remember in January, I had said on a couple of episodes that I was going on a writing retreat and I found this beautiful cottage on Airbnb. It's in Rongai and I went to it and it's a log cabin with this huge accent window that I need to go back. So while I was there, I was filming video for my Instagram and YouTube. And I'm, I met the, the, the owner who I did not know was Toya's dad. And he was so amazing. So they have two cottages. He was like, do you want to film in the other one as well? Come, let me show you. <laughs> so kind. And we actually spoke about life. He was like, so you're coming to write? I'm like, yeah, I write poetry. Really, I really love writing. And he told me about how it's important to do what you love in life. I remember him saying that. Then he told me his life story about leaving his job, leaving Nairobi, coming to Rongai and just like starting from the ground up so commendable. So I think on day two or three, I'm filming and walking upstairs to my cottage. Then I hear, hey, you're the girl for Legally Clueless. <laughs> and that's how I met Toya. And we, we stayed in touch ever since. I didn't know she had this powerful story. So it was such an honor to have her share it as part of the Nairobi tour. So if you check out the show notes, there is a link to Toya's photography page check out her work it's bomb her and i are trying to figure out when to do a photo shoot it's my schedule that's nonsense but i definitely have to make it happen because her work is so wonderful so if you check out the show notes there's a link to that there is also our legally clueless hotline there so in case you hear something on this podcast that you identify with you can record a voice note send that to me remember this podcast also plays on trace radio in kenya so if you go to traceradio.co.ke there is a list of all the frequencies and you can also stream it on that site as well, which is super dope. And speaking of streaming things, do not forget to check out the podcast, Power of the Streets, which is by Human Rights Watch. I'm pretty sure you love it. And let me know your thoughts on it, actually. So you can hit me up on our Instagram at Legally Clueless Podcast. I really need to <laughs> finish packing. <laughs> wish me all the best guys like light candles for me send good vibes my way just so that our time in kisumu in nakuru and mombasa goes as smoothly as possible thank you for listening to this podcast to the very end i will catch you next week in next week's episode i really don't know where i was going with that but yeah in next week's <laughs> in next week's episode that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.